Jesus said, he is not here, for he is risen. And I don't know if the world has ever received greater news than that, either before or since. You might say, well, what about when God promised Adam and Eve uh, someday there would be a redeemer? That was great news. Jesus hanging on the cross said it is finished. That was great news. But everything up until and since the resurrection, all of that was great news, but <clears throat> really it would have all been in naught if Jesus had not risen from the grave. So perhaps the greatest news that man has ever heard was, he is not here, for he is risen. Without the resurrection, where would the world be today? Christianity, of course, would have never even been a thing. It would have stopped. It would have ceased. There would have been no religion or anything known as Christianity, because that would have been the end of it. I submit to you that possibly, and I'm not saying this is all bad in and of itself, but I don't even know if the, if the religion of Islam would exist had Christianity not been there. Now, what would the world look like without the influence of Christianity over the last 2,000 years? We say, well, things are pretty bad. The world's a pretty bad place. But if you would take out of the picture Christianity and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope of that, what would things look like? We don't know. We can't know. But we praise God that we don't even have to bother our minds with that, really, because the fact is he was not there that day, but he is risen and he is still risen. And forever, throughout eternity, he will be and we can be with him. So I think about the power of the resurrection and we'll look at some verses to talk about the power of the resurrection, the power of the good news. So when we think about the good news, that's what the gospel is called. Uh, that's what the gospel means is the good news. And as they spread that out throughout the land, they went and they spread the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Not only had he died for their sins, but he rose again, that we can have eternal life with him. And as we think about the idea of the power of the resurrection, I want to ask a question. And you think about this, you don't have to answer me, but think about it for a moment. Does it take greater power to resurrect a, a physical body or greater power to resurrect our sinful spiritual bodies or nature? In other words, to transfer, transform someone out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light or to bring somebody back to life? I, I tend to think that, I don't know, with God, all things are possible. I don't know that one thing's harder with God than another. But he created our physical bodies. And he can bring, I mean, if he made a, a, a body out of dirt, he can certainly resurrect our bodies back out of the ground when we die and go back into the earth. What about these lives that are born and sinful and yet God can change us into one of his justified followers that takes an amazing amount of power it really does now maybe you say oh it doesn't take much 
<clears throat> perhaps you need to see yourself for who you really are or who you were before you were transformed to really think about the power that it takes of the gospel, the resurrection. The resurrection, of course, means that someday our bodies will be raised again and we will live with him. We'll have a body like unto his own glorious body. And someday, and, and like I've said before, from where I stand, I can see the cemetery and I can see tombstones out there. And I thought this morning, it probably wouldn't have liked this, but you know, maybe we should have had our sunrise service out there in that setting, knowing that what we were celebrating this morning, someday is going to basically make that cemetery of none effect. It's going to be those people are coming out of there. And if, we're, if we die before he comes again and we're buried out there, wherever you're buried, someday your body can come out of the grave and be raised again. So that's a wonderful thing, that we can spend eternity with him. But unless we avail ourselves to the power of the resurrection in our spiritual lives, we won't spend eternity with him with a new body. We will spend eternity in hell instead. Turn with me to the book of Romans. I want to look at some different passages in Romans and then a couple of other passages toward the end of the message. So in Romans chapter 1, and I'm just going to read verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> Romans 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He was declared to be the Son of God with power because of the resurrection from the dead. Not because of anything else he had done, really, although he had performed miracles, he had done all these other things, and those proved that he was the Son of God, but that he rose from the dead with power. And then if you go on over to uh, verses 14 through 16, Paul saying, I am debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, to the unwise, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel or the good news to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he's saying here that the gospel, the good news, that comes back to the fact that Jesus Christ proved who he was by the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, it says that has made available salvation, the power of God unto salvation for everyone. Outside of the resurrection, there would be no power for salvation. And so we have that power in the good news. Now I want to go on over to chapter 4. And this is a chapter that deals a great uh, amount with the justification, thinking about being justified by faith, talking about Abraham here and what Abraham did and, and how he believed God. And we're going to jump in here in verse 19. <clears throat> excuse me, it says, And being not weak in faith, Abraham that is, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, let's just take a look at that verse for a moment. Abraham did not 
think about the fact, or he did not consider the fact that he was basically dead and his wife was dead with regard to having children. I haven't heard of anyone lately. Well, I don't know a lot of people that I uh, saw a picture of one lady this morning, 109 I think she is, but I don't know a lot of people 100 years and older. And I have never heard of one of them that age having children. And it was not a thing back here of Abraham's time either, apparently. Now, if you go back prior to the flood and prior to some of those, why they had children up until they were hundreds of years old, it looks like. But by this time, God was changing things. Things had changed. And, and they said, Abraham looked at his own body and, and Sarah's bodies as far as with regard to having children, he considered their, their, their bodies dead for that purpose. But, he said he was not weak in faith, considering that. In verse 20 it says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And verse 21, And being fully persuaded that what he, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. God had promised him a son, and he believed it was going to happen. Therefore, it was imputed or it was countered or reckoned, whatever word you want to use there, his faith was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Notice the resurrection comes into this thing again, the resurrection. Now, that word imputed, reckoned, counted, you'll see it used in, in Romans a number of times. And so it's saying here that Abraham's faith was imputed or counted to him for righteousness. In other words, he was justified. The words uh, for justified, justification, just, all those words come from the same uh, Greek word family as do righteousness, unrighteousness, right right and so forth they all they come from the same um, words in the Greek and so Abraham was considered in God's eyes as righteous because of his faith that he placed in him and it says it's not written just for him only but for us also if we place our faith in Jesus Christ he considers us righteous now, I do want to say something right now. If you go on into the book of James, you can see what that kind of faith looks like. doesn't mean that we're justified and then that's the end of it. There's, there's something about how that looks. But the fact is, it was. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, go on to verse 25 and it says, talking about Jesus, who was delivered for our offenses. So because of our sins... Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised again for our justification. That's an interesting verse when you look at it. So he, was, he died for our sins, but he rose again so we could be considered righteous in God's eyes. What's the connection there? Well, part of that connection, I believe, is if you look at the early church, the question that was asked to the believers was, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? 
anyone at that time could have said, I believe that he died on the cross. Probably a lot of those people walked by and saw it. There were scribes, Pharisees, rulers of the Jews that were out there and watched it. And they said, sure, I believe he died on the cross. Of course he did. They, they, they had seen it. The question was, do you believe that he was raised up from the dead? That the father raised up his son from the dead? That was the question. So, he was raised again for our justification. We, could not, we cannot be justified. We are not seen as righteous in the eyes of God if we do not believe that he raised up his son from the grave. It's not, it just, we can't be. We can believe that Jesus died on the cross. But if that's where our belief stops, it doesn't work. Now, there's something interesting in this passage. Abraham considered his own body dead, and Sarah's, but he had faith that God could actually bring life out of that. Now let's think about that a little bit. He was looking at himself as, in a sense, dead, but believed God could bring life out of that. Do we sometimes lose the power of the resurrection to live victoriously because we consider ourselves still dead in our sins and we don't place faith in Jesus Christ that he can bring life out of that? And we're, not, we're no longer dead. Or do we tend to look at our failures, our sins, or whatever you might say, and say, well, that's just who I am. Rather than believing and putting faith in the fact that God can take something that's dead, our flesh, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about crucifying our flesh later, but that can be put away the flesh and out of that comes new life in Je through Jesus Christ and it happens because we must consider our flesh like Abraham did dead that's not always easy to do I think too often where Abraham recognized the fact that his flesh was dead to bring forth life placed faith in the fact that God could still bring life out of that. And we tend to look at ourselves and say, well, we're just dead and we can't do anything about it. And, and we leave it there. But Jesus Christ was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. I'd like to turn over and read the entire sixth chapter. And I realize you could go into chapter 7, and there you see this struggle. <clears throat> Some say that's the normal Christian struggle. Some say that is the struggle, as you would see in verse 1, there as someone who's trying to live under the law. If I do enough things right or enough things wrong, whatever. And then you go into chapter 8, and you see uh, life in the Spirit. But I want to read uh, chapter 6 this morning, thinking about the fact that we must crucify, put to death the old man so that the new man can be raised from the dead. Jesus Christ could not have uh, come out of the tomb. He couldn't have been raised from the dead had he not died. Now, that sounds pretty elementary. 
That doesn't sound like I'm telling you anything you can't figure out on your own, but it's, it's just a fact. And the same is true for ourselves. If we don't crucify the flesh, it will continue to live and we can't be raised again. Now, starting at verse 1 of chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Baptism is a picture, partly, of death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up uh, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. There you see that. We're buried with him in baptism. We take upon him, or we take upon ourselves a recognition that we crucify the old man, and then we walk in newness of life. Now, I want to make one thing very clear. This doesn't mean, I'm not preaching this morning, sinless perfection. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the fact that we never fail. But what I'm talking about is that we can, as Christians, live victorious Christian lives where it's not the normal to just be living in sin. If, it's, if we're just living in sin, the question must come back to, are we really in Christ? Are we new creatures? So is the, is the normal living a victorious life where we stumble, we fall, we fail, or is the normal where that's where we're usually at and once in a while we have a victory? Well, let's look on here. We walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we must die with him. We shall also in the likeness, uh, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So the old man must be crucified with him. Now, I'll tell you something this morning, and we might talk about this again a little bit later. Crucifixion is painful. I don't have to tell you that. I don't think there's anyone here, there's probably no one on the entire planet that given an opportunity would just say, yeah, sure, crucify me. I'd kind of like to see what that's all about. Oh, you see people that maybe hang on a cross for a while and this kind of thing to suffer a little bit. But I mean actually being nailed to a cross and dying on one. You didn't go on a Roman cross with any expectation of coming off of it alive. And once you were put there, you were hoping to die soon because of the pain. Crucifixion is a painful thing. It says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. It's painful sometimes to put to death the things of the flesh. Whether it's our desires, our attitudes, our, um, what, what we want, maybe sometimes that aren't even necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but they get in the way of what God wants. It's painful. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. It's the only way it's going to be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So you crucify the flesh and you become free from sin. Now, 
If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Jesus Christ has, will never, ever, ever die again. It's just that simple. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon. There's that word reckon again that pops up. Uh, like God reckons us. Uh, there's things that are reckoned, faith, reckon for our justification. So we need to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign or rule in your mortal bodies, our physical bodies, that you should obey it in the lust or the desires thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you or rule you. Again, not saying that you never ever will make a mistake, sin, whatever, but it should not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Ye were, were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin. Now notice over... In verse 7, it says, if you're dead, you're freed from sin. Here it says in verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. So he's saying here, you're going to serve something. We all serve something. So we either serve sin or we serve righteousness. Now, how do we serve sin? Well, Basically, what that comes back to is when we don't crucify the flesh, the old man. When the old man is not put to death, and Paul himself said, I die daily. I don't know too many people that have ever said, well, I have crucified the flesh way back there 50 years ago, and I've never had to worry about the flesh since. That's just been smooth sailing ever since then. If that's your story, I'd like to talk to you. We crucify the flesh every time it comes up. And it may be painful every time. But we're either serving uh, sin, ourselves, whatever it might be, or we're serving righteousness, we're serving God. One of the two. We're freed from one, serving the other. So, verse 18 again, I want to read it again. Being then made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for... Ye have yielded, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness, you had, and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness, or that word there may better have been translated sanctification. That's the cleaning up process. There's an initial sanctification and ongoing. For when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Notice how that's opposite of verse 18. 
There, you're free from sin, the servants of righteousness. Down here it says in verse 20, For when you were the servants of sin, uh, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things thereof, whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become the servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. What a beautiful picture. We have fruit that is holiness and our end of that is everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages is what we earn. We have all earned death. We've all earned it. But the gift, the gift, that's something we haven't earned. That's something we receive through faith in Jesus Christ is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, I'd like to read, kind of jumping into this passage here. I'm going to read verses 10 to 15. Maybe I'll read verse 9 as well. For it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So as we look at Jesus Christ, the entire Godhead dwelt in him bodily, in a physical form. So we could say that that was a complete picture of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. Then verse 10 says, and ye are complete in him. So we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we become complete, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Never come back to this picture of baptism and, and, and so forth with recognizing that we, uh, we basically align ourselves with the death of Jesus Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Jesus Christ died, and we consider ourselves dead with him, our flesh, but he makes us alive, he raises us up, and I like verse 15, that he spoiled principalities and powers, triumphing over it. There is no power, there is no demon, devil, power, spirit, whatever, that has power over us that is greater than the power of Jesus Christ. The Bible says greater is him that is in you than he that is in the world. There is no power. When we 
yield our servants to sin, it is our own flesh that we're not crucifying. We can't blame it on some principality of power because Jesus himself triumphed over them. In verse 12, it's interesting. It says, we are risen with him through the faith. We place faith, it says, in the operation of God who hath raised him up from the dead. It's kind of an interesting statement. The operation of God, the working of God. We place faith in the working of God that raised him from the dead. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'll start reading here at verse 10 as well. Um, I'll start reading at verse 8. Jesus Christ here. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I'll stop there. Jesus Christ, he humbled himself, became obedient to the death of the cross. Are we willing to humble ourselves and allow our sinful nature, our flesh, to be nailed to the cross in humility like Jesus Christ did. He wouldn't have had to have done that. Wouldn't have had to. If we go over to chapter 1, I think I'll start there at verse 10 as well. That ye may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that in my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even as envy and strife, and some of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And he goes on and talks a little bit about that. Paul was willing to live for the gospel and to die for the gospel physically. And we don't know what's going to happen with us in this life and what, where our nation will end up and how things may go. We've been blessed with a lot of freedoms. But he was set for the defense of the good news Physically, and he was willing to die, and he did die for it. But I wonder, will we, would we be willing to die for it if we're not willing to crucify the flesh now? Would we ever allow someone to actually harm our physical bodies 
if we're not willing to crucify the flesh now in this life. I don't know if we would be. But I know that Paul, if you follow on here in Philippians, and I'd like to read one more passage from Philippians that shows a little bit of his life and why he was willing to do that. In chapter 3, he says in verse 9 that he wants to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ or faith in Christ, the righteousness which is by God by which is of God by faith. Then he says that I may know him, and this comes back to what I want you to remember in the message this morning, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and look what follows right after it. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now Paul knew something of his sufferings. And he said, I'm, gonna, I'm set for the defense of the good news, even if I have to die for it. And he did. But Paul was saying, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to ask you this morning, is that the desire of your heart, to truly know him and the power of his resurrection? There is power there. I, I'm, I want us all to understand that. No matter what place in life we're in, no matter how much we might feel like, Things aren't going well, or we're failing, or we aren't living up to a crucified life. There is power in Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And then it says, being made conformable unto his death. Why? If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this thing, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Because of the power of the resurrection, we can forget those things that are behind. You might look at your life and say, yeah, but you don't know what I did back here. You don't know what I thought about back here. You don't know where I went back here. You don't know what my life's been like. You, know, you can forget those things which are behind because of the power of the resurrection and press toward the mark. Press toward the mark. The one thing about this passage that I find interesting, back in verse 6, the word persecuting, where he was talking about persecuting the church, that word in the Greek is the same as it is in verse 12 when it says, I follow after, I'm going after Christ. And it's the same word in verse 14 where it says, I press toward the mark. Paul went after the church. And he says, because of that, I'm chief of all sinners. But he went after it. Later, he was going after Jesus Christ because he had been apprehended by him. And he says, I'm going to go after the mark. I'm going to forget those things that are behind. I'm going to go after the mark. Why? Because he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and being made conformable to his sufferings. The cross is painful. It hurts. But the only way 
to really experience the power of the resurrection is to crucify the old man with the flesh, being made conformable unto his death, and then to press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the resurrection. God, I pray that you would help each one of us here this morning, every one of us, to recognize that we can yield ourselves unto righteousness. We can live in that way. And God, when we fail, when we fall, we sin, whatever it might be, I pray, Lord, that you would just draw us to yourself and that you would remind us that there is power in the resurrection and remind us that we need to crucify the old man whenever, whenever it raises itself up, but that we consider that dead and consider ourselves alive unto you. So God, give us that power through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your glorious name. Amen.